Welcome to the Fellowship Regional Church Podcast. I'm glad you are here uh, with us this morning. Um, the theologian and commentary writer uh, by the name of Daryl Bach says that this passage we're going to cover today is less of a miracle story and more of a character study. Inasmuch as we always, as individuals, want to make Jesus the, the hero of our story, and even in, in the uh, um, scriptures, when we preach, when we have these kind of talks, we want Jesus to be center of what we're doing. We're not looking for self-help. We're not looking for something that is necessarily politically correct. What we're looking for is for Jesus, the, 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 the way, the truth, the life, to come into our presence and change us. That's what we need. But there are times to where something happens on a human level that seems to affect the divine. To where we will see these stories of Jesus interacting with mere humans and Jesus is blown away standing in the dusty streets his jaw gaping open looking at individuals like now how did you come to that conclusion <coughs> when that happens it's probably pretty important for us to acknowledge what was the situation what happened that would cause the creator of the world the Son of God, the Great I Am, the Alpha Omega beginning to end, what would cause him to be affected by something that a mere human did? What rattled Jesus? What is that moment? If you're familiar with who Dr. Ruby Payne is, she is an expert uh, on educating and helping others understand generational poverty and how to get through to people who have come up in generational poverty. One of the things that, that Ruby Payne says is that you can almost tell where somebody comes from, what economic bracket they come from, based on the way they tell a story. We talked about this with the book of Mark. Ruby Payne points out that somebody in a, in a higher um, income bracket economic bracket, social bracket, somebody who has been in a place to where they've just kind of never dipped below that line. When they tell a story, it is a linear story. They start at the beginning and they move all the way through, through all of the progressive events until they get to the end. And that's how they tell a story. But if you grow up trailer, tra trailer park trash like me, this is how you tell a story. I saw a deer one time and it had a side view mirror off of a Chrysler town and country stuck on its time. To which you go, tell me more. It's the poverty way of me securing my audience so that I know you want to hear the rest. I threw a baby turkey at a mama turkey one time. Not because I was angry, but because it was chasing me. That's it. I want to draw you in to the story. I don't want to build it. I want to make sure you're going to be here to hear it. But when our gospel writer Luke tells the story, he starts at the beginning. And he moves all the way through. Unfortunately, he's not here today. So I'm going to screw up his story. 
We're going to start right in the middle, and I'm going to give you the punchline first, and then we'll walk through it. Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 9. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him, and turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Thaumadzo. That's the word. Thaumadzo. Amazed. Marveled. Check this out. Jesus Christ steps from heaven. That is to exit eternity and move into our time-space continuum and choose to be limited on every level imaginable to exist with us. And now he stands in the dust with everything he has seen and all that he knows. He stands in the dust, staring at a man, going, wow. See, what's cool about this word is this. It's not just amazed or marveled. It's also this deal. Speculative wondering. What in the world could you do that would make Jesus go, now how did you get to that conclusion? That would draw Jesus in to your story? What would you have to do? Have you ever been around somebody who has done everything? They've been everywhere. They've done everything. They've just, they've done it all, all of it. It doesn't matter what it is. They've done it. And I don't mean like a know-it-all. They just really have done it all. And then you try to tell them a story and you're like, my story is pretty dumb compared to the rest of your whole life. You know? What do you do? What do you do to make Jesus stop and just, wow. Not in a patronizing kind of way, but in a true thalmazo. You are blowing my mind right now. How do you do that? Let's start with Luke's first verse from chapter 7. When Jesus had finished saying all these things in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. There a centurion servant whom his master valued highly was sick and about to die. Now, here's one thing we know about the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke, it will take the Samaritan, the centurion, the woman. It will take the, the leper. It will make them the hero of the story all the time. That's what Luke does. He will name more women by name. He will name more centurions. He will talk about Samaritans in a much better light than all the other gospel writers would. Luke brings a notice to this. And here's what I think. Here's the reason why. Because Luke was the only Gentile writer in the, in, inside of our scripture. The only Gentile writer. The only one who was not a part of God's elect the Jews. Luke was outside of that. But Luke understood everyone is welcome. And so he writes his gospel with this idea of not everyone, no one's left out. No one's left out. And so I think that's why he does that. And so then here Luke comes. Now, Luke does things to us as we read this, and he will pose things in front of us. And its purpose is to trip you up. When he writes centurion, you're supposed to go like this. That's, that's your responsibility. Why? Because we're all good Jews and you got your yarmulkes and we don't eat bacon. And this is what you do. Somebody says Roman centurion and you're a Jew, you're like, those guys. Those guys. They entered our country. They took over everything. Those guys. 
And so what Luke does is he sets it up. No punchline first for Luke. He sets it up. A centurion had a servant who was highly valued. Well, of course the centurion had a, a servant who was highly valued because everybody loves somebody who makes them money or takes care of them, right? That's our response. That's our response. But the word he uses for highly valued isn't the word monetary value. It's precious. He's important to me. He had a servant and he was important. Even bad people love people, right? So it's okay. The centurion loves this servant and he's been around a long time. Maybe he's like 100 years old, whatever. It doesn't even matter. He loves him. That's fine. And our response to this text as we read what Luke is writing should be, hmm, well, man, that's really not that big of, a, big of a deal. But Luke's not done. There a centurion servant whom, master, whom his master valued highly was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him asking him to come and heal his servant. Now, all you cynical Cindy Loppers who are waiting on this guy's true colors to come shining through right here, you see it now, don't you? Now he barged in and he's telling Jewish elders, see, that's the problem right there. That's the one, that's the centurion I knew, bossing around God's people, telling them what to do. Oh, that would make a little more sense. See, Luke has got the perfect setup. What's crazy is this. Luke highlights this centurion's compassion first and foremost. He highlights his compassion. When Luke talks about somebody of a different ethnicity, a foreigner, somebody with an occupation that tends to cause more harm for the Jews than it does good, Luke talks about them in a positive light. Luke forces us to deal with the racism that lives inside of us, with the sexism that lives inside of us, with the bigotry that lives inside of us. Oh, but we're not that way. Real. We're not that way, right? We're not. Are we not? Are we not? If you go out on a playground and you watch little kids play, you point to a certain child and say, what about this child? Oh, her name is. What about this child? Her name is. And what about that child over there? Her name is. But what about that girl over there? The one that's got a browner shade of skin. What about that one? The one with the pink ribbons? That's what you noticed? You look at the little kids and that's what little kids notice. The one with the pink ribbons? And then we hear Jesus' words, don't you? Unless you become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Luke forces us to deal with some stuff that is internally wrong with us. He highlights this man's compassion. He's a centurion, and he's compassionate. The next thing he does is he moves on into this area to where now he's, there's these Jews, and they're coming to Jesus. Why are elders, why are, why are Jewish elders doing what a Roman centurion says. And if we were living in that day, this is, what, this is what we would say. Because if they don't, 
they could get persecuted. That is the true nature of a Roman soldier right there. The Roman soldier, the centurion especially, is the backbone of the Roman army. And the Roman army is Rome. And then we find ourselves looking at this thing like Roman centurions are bad guys. They're bad guys. Look at this next verse. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and he has built our synagogue. So Jesus went. And so if you were there and you begin to have this thing inside you like that's what Roman soldiers and then all of a sudden you hear these Jewish elders saying he's a good guy. What? He's a good guy. Luke highlights his compassion. Then Luke moves on to say, he's also generous. But there's another lesson, I think, for us that's, that's big. What moved Jesus? Why did Jesus go? He's a foreigner, number one. It's not even for him specifically. It's for the foreigner's servant. Why did Jesus go? Because there were some people who showed up to Jesus, showed up in his presence and said, he's a good man. He's compassionate. He's gracious. He's generous. He deserves this. He's been good to us. Let me ask you something. Do you have a lifestyle or a history of compassion, graciousness, generosity, so that when other people pray for you, they can plead to the Lord on your behalf, citing facts about who you are. Do you live that kind of life? Because that seems to be what moves Jesus. When we enter into prayer for someone else, do we have facts? Dear God, I need to talk to you about my friend. He's a good, good man, and he's in a bad, bad situation. He's a good man. He's been there for me. He's been kind to me. He stood by me when no one would stand by me. He's been my friend, and my friend needs your help. Would you please tend to my friend? You don't think that moves the heart of the Lord? It obviously does. It rattles the gates of heaven. Why do we live moral lives? Out of obligation? No. Out of gratefulness, out of thankfulness, out of a response to what God has done for us. And why do we pray for one another? Because when you can bring somebody else's name before the king of the entire universe, the creator of all things, and you can say, this person needs you, and they have been good to me, and they have been awesome, would you please tend to their life? That comes with a response. It moves Jesus, like we see in verse 6. Verse 6 continues. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends again to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. 
That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. The third thing that Luke points out is this. He's compassionate. He's generous. But then he says, he's humble. And who knows what happened? Who knows? Maybe the centurion is sitting there thinking to himself, what have I done? What have I done? What have I done? I've heard of this Jesus. I don't know him. I've never met him. Now I'm asking him to walk all the way to my house to heal my servant. When most people in my occupation have caused more harm than good to the Jewish people, and now I'm going to call a Jewish rabbi to my house? How hypocritical of me. See, this centurion is very self-aware of his own position in life. Here's another point we have to deal with. The centurion had another set of friends. You know that's a sign, right? You know that's a sign of how you're doing spiritually? If you've got people in your life, it's a sign. You can only go so far by yourself. It requires other people to be in your life. Somebody shared Jesus, shared their testimony with the centurion. It said that he had heard of Jesus before and sent for him. But then he clutched. That moment like, oh no, now I'm a weirdo. Go, what did I do here? What did I do? Is that out of bounds? Was that like, was I supposed to do something? Was I supposed to do something different? Maybe I shouldn't have called Jesus. He sends another group of friends. Go tell Jesus, never mind. I'm sorry. That was so rude of me. Stupid. It's like when I do something, I'm just like, moron. Jared, you're a moron. You know, the centurion is in that place of like, oh, no, 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 no. He sends these people to Jesus again. But this is the thing that moves Jesus the most. I'm not worthy for you to come in my house. I'm sorry I shouldn't have sent for you like that. I was so dumb and weird. I got to thinking about like my role in the community and I'm a centurion. It's bad, whatever. Here's the deal. Just say, be well. Here's why I think that works. Because in the centurion response to Jesus, I'm a man of authority. And when I walk out there to any one of my soldiers who is underneath me and I tell them to go do a thing, they go do the thing. Anytime I tell another one, stop doing that and come here, he comes. I tell him to go and he goes. I understand authority because I'm the top dog. But Jesus, in this situation, you're top dog and I'm under you. Here's the thing. You say it and sickness goes away. Just say it. Jesus stands shell-shocked. Wow. I have not seen faith this large or this wide or in this amount is what the Greek says in all of Israel. A foreigner with more faith than us good Sunday school attenders who brought our Bible and our friend and got our gold lickum stars on our chart. Even better than us. Let me ask you something. Why in the world did that phrase move Jesus so much? 
What about that phrase moved him? Here's what I think. My dad was my college prep English professor or English teacher in high school. He was also my football coach in high school. And he was also my dad when we got in the car after football practice. Unfortunately, I had the opportunity to get to hear about my grades at random times, my performance on the football field at random times. He'd wake me up in the morning. Listen, there's not a voice that is more recognizable inside of my head than my father's voice. Even today, when Katie and I get in an argument, I hear him saying things to me about be gentle. When I'm spending time with my kids or I want to get selfish with my time, I hear him saying things like, being a father is about sacrifice. There's times and situations people walk through the door and they want to talk about something and I'll hear something that, that, that saddens me and I think, I don't know that I've got an answer and then suddenly, there's his voice. I remember him waking me up in the morning when I wanted to oversleep and I remember him yelling at me about my grades. And I remember him telling me I was loafing on the football field. And I remember on Friday nights when I didn't even need to hear his voice because everything else was so loud. But in every single step, I knew exactly what to do because his voice echoed in my head. And the centurion says to Jesus, speak it and it will happen. And Jesus has hearkened back to the days of creation where he is with his father. And God said, let there be light. And light became. And Jesus is going, how did you get that? How did you get there? How did you get to that place as a foreigner and an unbeliever that all you have to do is speak it? How do you know that about me? And Jesus is hearing his father's own words echoing back into his ears. And you don't think that moves the Christ? It absolutely moves the Christ. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well what do you need Jesus to say to you what do you need Jesus to speak into your life who inside of your home or your friends are broken and you desperately need Jesus to say just say be well to that one just say it because my baby is sick because my wife is struggling because my husband is an idiot Who needs to hear Jesus speak? You have to take them in front of the Savior. And you've got to use the same words that God spoke. Listen, if you say it, it happens. I just need you to say it. Say the thing. 
If you spoke and created light, then speak here because this is a dimwit, right? Speak and illuminate, illuminate where we are. You know what's beautiful about this? That's the end of the story. Jesus doesn't go to the house. Jesus doesn't meet the centurion. Jesus doesn't meet the servant. Jesus turns around. He's so blown away. He doesn't even go to the house. I don't know. That, I haven't even met this guy, and he's got greater faith than all of you. What is your problem? Even a foreigner, an unbelieving foreigner, can come to a place of understanding Jesus if they have an open heart, if they have an open mind, if they strive, if they, if they lean in for some sort of spiritual insight from the Holy Spirit. I think there's another lesson here for us, though. One of the key points in the Gospel of Luke is evangelism. How do we make a difference in the world that we live in? I think we start like the centurion. We begin to model our life after the centurion. Do you have compassion? Are you selfish? Do you care where other people are in life? Do you look around at the world around you and think, I should probably help more? The centurion was generous. What about us? If we're going to bring people in so that they can meet our Lord, we ought to on, on some level resemble him. And the centurion figured that out. We have to be generous. We talked about this one last week, but generosity doesn't just, just, doesn't just mean money. It means time. It means life. It means we change our plans and we begin to focus in and move other people into our lives so that we can have some sort of connection and communication with them. That's what we're called to do. And the last one, humility. It's a phrase I've heard a bajillion times and it can sound so cliche, but I want to share it with you because it's true. Nobody in the world cares what you know until they know that you care. No one. And when they know that, then they can care. Then they can care about everything that you know. But if there is not a way in, if there is not an example, if there is not an approachableness to who we are, it doesn't happen. Our responsibility is to replicate Christ, is to be little Christs in the life of the people around us. And Luke is going to take the most unlikely candidate and make him an example for us. There are no less than 45, 45 stories and teachings inside the book of Luke that are unique only to the book of Luke. There's no less than 45. When Luke writes, he highlights different things. He's coming from a different perspective. We're going to study through some more of those, and we're going to find some more insights that help guide us and lead us as a church and where we want to go in the future. Um, if you do not know Jesus and you need to know him, you've not made a decision to become a Christian, become a follower of Christ, we're not all into name tags and, you know, make sure you become a member of our church and get your name on a thing so that we can brag about how many people we have. We're not, that's, we don't really care about that too much. Uh, what we care about is this. Uh, if you're roaming around the world and you don't have a family, you don't have people, uh, then that's, that's what you need. If you're roaming around here and you don't have a savior, then that's what you need. And we want to stand in the gap 
with you through whatever you're going through. So let us know because we'd, we'd love, to, love to visit with you. 